Hello and welcome to The Gag, where I, a gorgeous artistic goblin, discuss scary movies and problematic legacies with some of my most fiendish friends uh, to figure out why we like them so much. And I have a wonderful guest with me, a DC-based actor and the encyclopedia of all cinema and stage information. Encyclopedia Britannica himself, <laughs> Mr. Frank Britton, is here. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you, Mr. Josh. And yourself? I'm doing great. I'm Good. so glad you're here because uh, you literally know everything. <laughs> you know so much about movies. You're you're really a, a wealth of, of knowledge. And I'm so excited that we get to talk about this movie. Thank but you. But before we do, can I ask, what made you gay this week? <laughs> anything that you saw or did or took part in that was like I am queer and I love it nothing of note nothing of note I, it's usually it's every day <laughs> it's every day but you the, wake up you, you know, go I yeah. love being queer and you yeah. walk out the door you know, queerly it's, yeah <laughs> you know, it's a bit you know because my life tends to be pretty mundane and okay. I say you know and I do all the the you know my uh, it just seems like everything I uh, do these days are, you know is mundane because I I can't really say what exactly has made me you know certainly this week. perhaps it's just being your honest self as a as an act of quiet revolution yes, sometimes yes. just existing as absolutely a, as a absolutely. queer person in absolutely. public absolutely 24 7 right right every five. every second of every day yes. makes you gayer yes i be who i be and do what i do i love and... it um <laughs> i was talking about this with you earlier yes. what made me gay though uh -huh. um are you familiar with jason gedrick Yes, I am. The actor. Okay, yes, so I, I was so I was watching Iron oh, yeah, Eagle. He's fine. He's fine. He's, he's nice. He's I, fine. He was playing like this teenager, but of course this was a movie, so he was in his twenties in real mm -hmm. life. Um, and they were. It was in the movie Iron Eagle. I watched this morning. Um, and he's cute. He's got his eighties hair, and he's like a you know, the the guy that looked too young for Top Gun, which was released the same year. That's right. <laughs> um, so they put him in this movie, but. It, He's cute and all, but it's really Lou Gossett's movie. That, that's my man. You know, one he's of my... Doing the, he's doing yes. what he does best. Yes. Yelling at incompetent <laughs> white children. <laughs> that's it's my... Me. I love him so much. You know, I read his memoir in one... In like once... Wow. I was standing in a... It was when I was doing One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest at Roundhouse Theater 10 years ago. Uh -huh. And I went over to the Barnes & Noble. And it was in between shows, I believe, that day. And I go and I read his memoir, uh, which I'm blanking on the name of. Okay. But it was so it was such a, a hooked read. Mm -hmm. I read the entire thing in like an hour. Okay. And uh, which I still need to get a copy of because <laughs> I love him so much. And he's been you know such a wonderful inspiration. Uh, to he me. is so and good he in this. Is. He's. Mm. I mean, he's the. Uh, he, it was really his movie because he's yeah. the only one that they got back for all of the sequels because yeah. they're like this is the star. But he's still in this movie a supporting character and yeah. i'm like but he's the draw like he's the best part of this movie hands down yeah. it, it sounds me that they never put him in, in in a lead role because he's literally able to carry movies with what little he's given in terms of story and script mm -hmm. and he's also in my other well my 
favorite of the Jaws movies, Jaws 3D. And he survived it. And, and he lives. He, he lives, lives to the end. Him. His yes. poor nephew, though, <laughs> whose name was nephew or nephew. something. Like, he literally just called him nephew. nephew. Yeah. <laughs> he, survived he survived But he survived. He survived. And I love Jaws 3D. I do, too. That you makes know. me gayer, too. Uh, right, right. Yes. Well, you that know, little like... Dennis Quaid moment. And yes. Leah Thompson being there makes me gayer because I love me Leah Thompson, you know? Yes. You know, I you know all of the like the the eighties movies. You know, my one of my favorite uh, Lou Gossett's eighties movies was Firewalker with Chuck Norris. I'm and not familiar. Yes, uh, it, it, people would consider it not so good, but it's so entertaining and fun. And the repartee between That's he and how Chuck, I feel about Jaws 3D. And then, and, see, and then one of my all time favorite actors growing up was Melody Anderson. Dale Ooh. Arden from Flash Gordon. Okay, she was uh, the the three leads. Chuck, Lou Gossett, Melody Anderson, they were in Firewalker, and um, I just love her. And, you know, she retired from acting at 40 in 1995, oh. and she became this really well-known uh, LCSW. Okay, And she wow. went a back and got her degree. Social worker? Yeah, yeah, and she's now this renowned therapist, addiction specialist, wow. counselor, and, you know, you can find That's videos. That's a renaissance her, right? of you a can career. Find, but she still does conventions for Flash Oh, wow. yeah. Well, you know what? The yeah. cons are fun. You meet. Yeah. I'm she sure it's great, it. yeah, you know, for people that. who have left th- yeah. that career behind but still yeah. have so many adoring fans. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they're the ones who are really, like, um, the best celebrities to meet it so to speak like uh our dearly departed sid haig yes he loved yes, the cons yes, he loved yes, them he and loved apparently them. was so nice yes you, you, it's wonderful when you hear how you know the the icons are at conventions you know all my favorites d wallace oh, yeah. adrian barbeau <gasps> You know, Sid Higg, I I hear always hear Meg Foster. Meg Foster, Meg Foster. from They Live. Yes. Wow, and she still does them. And I hear and I go and I read the YouTube comments from like people who've met them. They all say the same thing about all of them. They're so nice, They're so very kind gracious. to their fans. They know They're that grateful. they've done something that impacted yeah. people. Yeah, and, and that makes me happy. And it I love them. sucks because you know a lot of times they get thrown into the has been, as yeah. I call it, and it and. I always stand like a an actor who did even a few films that are near and dear to my heart. Oh, so yes. like the Meg Fosters and the Leah Thompsons uh-huh. and the Lorraine Garys of Lorraine, the world. The movie, <laughs> yes, oh, I love is she Lorraine. in three D? She's not. No, no, she was only in Jaws, Jaws Two, and, and Jaws Revenge. Revenge. She skipped three yeah, D. She retired. Darn. <laughs> yeah, she retired. I think not long after Jaws: The Revenge. Okay. And you can also find an alternative cut of the ending. Where Mario Van Peebles survives. Wait, I saw that version. Yeah. Wait, he doesn't survive? In the original theatrical version, you only see the shark taken down. You never see him come back up. You never see him come back up. I didn't know that. I thought he survived the whole time. Mm -hmm. Well, I thought he died, and then, surprise, they did the same thing. Spoiler alert, the blue gossip in Iron Eagle. That's what they did in Jaws Revenge, because I always thought, you know, in the years, many times I've seen it, he died. And then, and also, I think that's a weird thing. Jaws Revenge, I love Miss Lorraine in it. Um, But uh, the shark was roaring. Sharks don't roar. So I thought that was really bizarre. And of course, Michael Caine, he did it for the check. You know, Sir Michael, he was like... (laughs) Am I on the first page? Am I on the last page? Then I do the the movie. (laughs) It's it's so entertaining. But she retired, I think, not long after 
Jaws of Revenge. Um, okay. But yeah, she was always a she was a delight to see. And her scene in Car Wash was hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. So we talked about what made us gayer. What made you anxious this week? Any anxiety? No, not really. It That's was actually great. it was a long work week. Okay, um, well, yeah, work keeps you from thinking too much mm-hmm. about anything other than work. That, that's true. You know, I I'd say for me, um, I haven't been too anxious in recent times. That's good. Um, I get anxious a lot, but a little, I just a little talk wor- it out with yeah, people. <laughs> yeah, a little too worried about things yeah. here and there. But you know, I'm a natural born warrior. Um, uh, as opposed to warrior. Wow. Uh, you can be both, I think. That's true. You can be a worry, worrying warrior. I, I got <laughs> worried. Well, I saw, finally, got to see Dolomite Is My Name on yes, Netflix. Yes, which I have yet to see. It's good, and, and Eddie Murphy gives a fantastic performance. I've heard. But everyone in that movie is really given a chance. Like, it's his movie. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, mm-hmm. but but everyone is really given a chance in that movie to, to shine. Wesley Snipes steals every scene as Derville Martin, yes. who I did, who would only do the movie if he could direct it. Directed, right. yeah. Mean with a green. Um, <laughs> so good. And um, Divine Joy Randolph, Broadway star, she is so good as Lady Reed. I'm wondering because I good. love Lady she Reed. She holds her own with, with and, and you and I know that she has an illustrious stage career as a Tony nominee. That's right. But I'm really happy for the Netflix crowd to discover her. Cause yes. And, and also, she's great. you know, I'm a big Rudy Ray fan. Mm-hmm. Big, and I saw his films when I was a kid. You know, P.T. Wheatstraw, The Devil's Son oh, wow. You know, we rented those movies. You know, Dolomites and everything. And I have all of his albums on my iPod. You can find them on iTunes. Well, people think that he was earnest in making Dolomite, but he he's a comedian. He's a comedian. Dolomite was a character that he created, and it made him famous. And people were like, "Did he know what he was doing when yeah. he made that movie?" I'm yeah. like. He knew what he was doing. Yeah, and apparently he was nothing like that in real life. Right. He the, learned the, it from... Uh, the, the guys on the, on the corner. Yeah, the guys know? on the corner. And, and some people think that he, like, didn't credit them enough. And the movie kind of touches on that. Um, you know, was he exploiting um, the stories of, of people in, in, in the city that he knew? Hmm for monetary gain and it's like well yeah he was but he was also giving a voice to to people that weren't represented and i think yeah. that at its core is the heart of black exploitation uh-huh. which i think is important to discuss only because when i first talked about or when i first read about the movie that we're discussing today Ganja and Hess, mm. we haven't said it yet, mm. 1973's Ganja and Hess, directed by Bill Gunn, an amazing movie. Um, when I read about it, they said, this is the best of the black exploitation films. But then I saw it and was like, this is not a black exploitation film. This is an experimental horror film. If I were to put it in a category, I'd, I'd, I'd put it with films like Don't Look Now, uh-huh. released in uh-huh. the same year. Same year. The yes. Exorcist was That's, released. Uh-huh. The Exorcist is much more critically lauded as as high art, and this mm. movie wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't know they, why. They did give us some love at the Cannes Film Festival. That's true. It got a standing mm-hmm. ovation mm-hmm. at Cannes. And uh, Cannes was big in its up. And then it just kind of 
disappeared, I think, after that. For or, like uh, four decades, no yeah. one knew what, where this movie was in its yeah. original form. There were mm. all these different cuts. Mm. They even released it as different titled Titles, movies. Yeah. Blood Couple. Blood Couple, yeah. yeah. A very interesting I mean, title. Yeah, that's intriguing. Blood Couple. <laughs> Blood, Blood couple. couple. I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, but I think it's important. It, would you like to give the uninitiated a quick... What what is black exploitation? Why is it kind of a, in, a important historically, but also problematic in its legacy? I I'd say because of the people would say, and I I don't purport to be any type of scholar. I just go from what I, think, I, I go I by what I <laughs> <laughs> I just go by you know from what I've read and have seen over mm-hmm. the years and what I've read about. It's it was a way of getting us out there and getting us seen. Although a lot of those films had the negative stereotypes and the tropes, you know, the pimps, you know, sex workers and everything, and, mm-hmm. and um, all around people, the people that were um, on the fringes of society, you know, drug dealers, you had Superfly, you had The Mac, you had... Um, uh, Dolomite? Yeah, Dolomite. Uh, it, we were talking um, about... Van Peebles, uh, that, that, that uh, sweet, 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 sweet back, back yeah, their song, you know, it's and um, yeah, Melvin Van Peebles with that uh, sweet, sweet back. It, it they they all of those films back then, and I saw and I also saw really obscure black exploitation films. Okay, you know, as a kid, you know, I would um, rent them from the video store. I remember there was this one called The Bad Bunch. I, I saw it as a child. I know I, it's on IMDb. Huh. I'm not sure where you can find it. You can probably find it on YouTube. Okay. It came out in 19, I want to say 1976 or so. Okay. And I think it, I, I can't wholly remember what it was about. Uh, I think a Vietnam vet and gangs and like LA. It was this whole thing. And uh, and these were films you can find in a mom and pop video store for rent, you know. Right. And Back when we used to go down to the store and rent the videos, we yeah, talked about that yeah, earlier, right? Going yeah. to the local store and just being like, where's your horror section? Yeah, your horror section. I would just yeah. look at the... Yeah. They had DVDs and VHSs still. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I would get what I could. Sometimes it was like a really crappy VHS copy. Mm-hmm. And I had to find the VCR in the house that still worked if there was one. <laughs> but I watched all of those movies on yeah. that wall of horror. In terms of black exploitation horror, you you should definitely. I mean, you've watched it, of course. Uh, horror noir is an mm-hmm. excellent documentary. Yes. Horror noir that mm-hmm. covers like the the basics of of horror and black exploitation. Uh-huh. But then they spend a great deal of time talking about ganja and Hess because it came out around the same time mm-hmm. and got lumped in as many say unfairly with these other films that's right because it's nothing it's nothing like it's its own film right you know it could have even started its own genre you know <laughs> within the within black cinema and what i love more you know with black exploitation black cinema when you have films that are completely uh, not what the audience expects. Whereas you have a film like Ganjin Hess, you have a brother who's a wealthy anthropologist. And they, the first uh, thing you see is Dr. Hess, Dr. Green. Hess Green. Doctor of anthropology? Doctor of... <laughs> he's a double doctor. A double he's doctor. got two doctorates. That's right. In rocks and people. Rocks and people. <laughs> and, you know, and 
you didn't see that back then. You didn't he see people of color as scientists, as medical professionals. As medical professionals, and the brother is wealthy. You know, he's... he's Got an island or an something, I, yeah. Yeah, super stylish. You know, Dwayne Jones, oh, you know... We need to talk about Dwayne yes, Jones, we his do, performance. Because I loved him. You know, I, I still love him. You know, he's so... He made me gayer this week, just seeing him. Cause <laughs> the, as Rachel True from The Craft, whenever she's on like doc, the documentary Horror Noir, uh, she's a treat because she's oh yeah. like... The first thing we hear about Dwayne Jones is when he appears as Ben. He's the lead in Night of the Living That's Dead right. by George A. Romero. Mm-hmm. And she's like... And then he comes on and he's the sexiest lead I've ever seen. She yeah. was, was so into Dwayne Jones. Right, and yeah. then I watched uh, this movie again. I'm like... She was right. He is yeah. so sexy. Well, I mean, Kira Sean, who played Karen in the original Knights of the Living Dead, the mm-hmm. daughter, uh, Harry and Helen's daughter, who was bitten. Oh, the okay. She said years later, you know, she had a huge crush on Dwayne Aww. Jones. And she loved working with him. Um, but yeah, Dwayne Jones, I mean, he's so he was so cool and, you right. know, sweat. Even in Knights of the Living Dead, but especially Ganja and Hess. This brother, I mean, the costume design, the he set really design. He really gets the chance he really got yeah. the opportunity to to perform to perform here yeah and you know he i mean he was so you know the sweat the swag and, yeah. and the coolness and you know it was so like this brother you know he's, <laughs> he's accomplished and and just yeah. he and you and if you noticed he didn't speak a whole lot in the film he just said no. what he needed to say he was a man of few words man of few words kind of like charles bronson you know i, I, I love charles bronson I, <laughs> right. I, 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 I love charles bronson too and um yeah it was just fascinating how you know this brother who's accomplished he's stylish he's and the way the film starts it already starts with things having gone down yeah and but then you kind of go into like flashback it kind of yeah the, it's this there's non-linear narrative yeah. structure here which is very popular in experimental horror yeah but we should talk um a little bit about the director yes Bill Gunn, Gunn, who wrote the script as well. who wrote the script um he he was a broadway represented playwright mm-hmm. uh philadelphia native that's right and apparently like um in the black exploitation era, the the producers and directors of the films were often white. That's right. Uh, a notable exception is Blackula, which had a black yes. director but still had yes. white producers. Yes. These white producers, like Sam Z. Arkoff, Arkoff. Yes. Name, American International Pictures. You'll yeah. see before these. That's right. A lot of these movies uh-huh. n- knew that you know. Uh, people of color wanted to see themselves on screen not as maids or slaves or servants of any mm-hmm. kind and, and black exploitation was the only other option at the time mm-hmm. so it was troubling because it it enforced all these other tropes but at least you were the lead of the movie like you, you saw yourself it was representation representation exactly that's you grab yeah. it every little bit you can i know i do with queer representation in in, in film and i think there's a few queer moments in this movie that we can get into yes but um yes yes i think that a lot of it came from gun himself Mm -hmm. possibly Mm -hmm. because he hung out with james dean and marlon brando that's right and nina simone um and was part of that culture and and we know james dean and marlon brando were sucking dick like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we, know, we know they were doing that so who knows what what goes down behind closed doors none, none of these guys were like completely straight 
<laughs> and if they said so, I think they were lying. Uh, not to, um, uh, I don't know, not to, to, to make any rumors any bigger, but it's James Dean and Marlon Brando. There are a lot of rumors about them. They've been, yeah, those have been around for a long time. <laughs> and even though he was so accomplished, Bill Gunn died fairly young. Yes, he was, I think, only 54. Uh, I believe the cause was uh, encephalitis. Um, oh. Dwayne Jones passed at 51. Also was, yeah, of heart uh, disease. Heart, heart failure, heart, I believe it Something was heart like failure. That. He was so worried, uh, Dwayne Jones was worried that, you know, his legacy as Ben from Night of the, Liv- the Living Dead would be the only thing people remember him from and it's mm-hmm. so unfortunate that he only led two movies yeah uh night of the living dead and this mm-hmm. uh, and i'm very glad though that this film has re-entered uh public notice yes for the longest time the only copy was at the museum of modern art in new york yeah. city the only yeah. uncut version yeah um and so I'm really glad that Dwayne Jones is getting this other like film this resurgence because he was worried about his legacy even yeah. though Ben is a classic performance in oh, my yeah. opinion a, I, a beautiful I, role I, I remember uh, hearing a, uh, this interview with him which I believe you can find on YouTube mm-hmm. where Mr. Jones talked about he was um, he took some students out to lunch I forget which college he was teaching at uh, I know he ran the theater department or the literary department or the English department at a college in New York. New York. He was and from Pittsburgh, though? No, he was from New York originally. Oh, okay. He was from New York City. And, um, George Romero is Pittsburgh. George, and, and, George Romero was born in the Bronx and moved, moved to Pittsburgh. Oh, and, um, okay. Well, my dad's from Pittsburgh, so everything, you know, every time I get a chance, uh, get a chance to bring up romero and pittsburgh i'm like yeah, yeah. see oh, i'm like oh shit now i need to double check that to make sure that the late great mr romero was born in the bronx but you i are, believe he was you are probably but, correct you know very many things but you know he um you, you hear the story of his audition and how he got the role yes and, they and, said they uh, said it wasn't about the color of his skin he was just the best actor that um they saw that day and i'd love to believe that in full, but it was 1968. It was 1968. There, there was something else. There had to have been, you know, the, something that they probably weren't even aware of. Yeah. Especially how the, you know, the way the film ended. That so it made such a comment and a commentary on society at that time. Whereas Night of the Living Dead was about racism. Dawn of the Dead was about consumerism. Mm-hmm. Day of the Dead was about sexism. Mm-hmm. And you see and how... military and might. military... Yeah, and how all of those... Uh, uh, according... Those were my... Those Reads. themes are my opinions. Right. Uh, but I'm sure other They're people would agree. pretty popular, yeah. Yeah, other people would agree that those, those, those themes are those accurate. Those reads are not brand new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And they were all, you know, different ways. The way how Romero represented actors of color who were in leading roles mm-hmm. in all three of those films. Two and survived. Them, and sur- two of them survived, uh, Dawn and Day. Right, and sorry, the, in, in 1968's yeah. film, he, unfortunately, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. Ben is shot by a white posse mm-hmm. who mistake him for... A zombie. A zombie. And they throw him on a, f- uh, a pyre at the end. And he and becomes the- just another statistic, another... Uh, Another body for the pit, which is of course still relevant to this day, mm-hmm. for reasons we don't need I mean, to go that, down, I so. mean, that's I mean the impact, yeah. the cultural impact of that film, and then you know you have Ganja and Hess, 
which was only five years after Night. Yeah. And a uh, totally different character, of course. And, you know, he... Did mm. Bill Gunn and Dwayne Jones know each other, or...? Probably. I, I had heard um, that Bill Gunn was hired to make this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was supposed to be a black exploitation film, but mm-hmm. he took the crew and the cast and he took them all up. To, this is apparently in horror noir. He takes them up to New York. That's right. And he makes the movie uh-huh. without the producer's knowledge. <laughs> apparently they weren't very happy. <laughs> that might have something to do with the limited uh, scope of this film. Um, uh, but luckily... Yeah. But luckily... Um, like they said in the in the documentary again, I'll I'll hawk horror noir forever. Yes, me too. Horror noir. <laughs> Check it out. They everyone. say Hollywood hates this movie because it shows it, wealthy black people just being themselves. Yes, yes, and and that's not what Hollywood was showing. No, they were showing what we would consider the more negative aspects of black life and black culture, and that's why certain black organizations came down very hard on on black exploitation films yeah even i mean i will watch blackula any day of the week absolutely it's, oh, sh- it's... shit william marshall man uh, so I, lo- I love that man you know and the fact and that man was a he was a trained singer he was an opera singer they were getting a chance to to do roles do that roles. they were getting a chance to be seen so tall and yeah. commanding and then he's playing blackula and that concept was original for its own you know for its film right and and uh, and I loved him too. I loved William Marsh. All those brothers and sisters from back in the day in those films. You know, Vonette McGee, Denise Nicholas, Pam Greer, Tamara Dobson, uh, and Marlene Clark. Marlene Clark. Yes, yes. Who is our legendary? Yes, very underrated. I think very, so. She very is underrated. Absolutely phenomenal. Because we all know her from Into the Dragon, and that that one scene. I actually with, don't. Re- I didn't even remember that she was in that until yeah. I reread it. Yeah. But I do remember Marlene Clark. She plays Ganja, by the way. We should That's discuss right. that That's name. That's right. <laughs> yes, she plays Ganja. Um, we'll get into the plot in a little bit, but Marlene Clark, who plays the other lead of this film, mm-hmm. I knew of her from The Beast Must Die. That's right. One of my favorites. I saw that. Yes, yes. Werewolf movies. Werewolf movies. She, With she, Calvin Lockhart, Calvin another Lockhart. actor. Another, another legend. Yeah. Another black film legend. You know, she... It's an interesting she, film. It's an interesting I film. I like it. She appeared in like a handful of... It's like, like what if Agatha Christie met uh, uh, The Howling? <laughs> yes, nice. yes, yes. And Michael Gambon and Peter Michael Cushinger. Gam- it's, it's, yeah, it's a stacked it's, film and it's tense. Yeah. And yeah, it's a good one. I would also recommend it. Yes. She, um, she appeared in like a handful of films that, you know, we know. And she did a lot to television. And she had a wonderful character arc on, of course, you know, one of my favorite shows, Sanford, Sanford and Son. Right, right, right. She played Lamont's uh, girlfriend, then fiance, and she was a single mother. I talked about Sanford and, and Son last week with Scatman Crothers, because I yes, talked The Shining. Yes, yes. Did you, <laughs> Hopefully it comes up in every episode. Yes. Now, did you Quick know Red I, um, you know, because I, uh, uh, I can't remember if this was on your podcast, if you talked about it, but... He said himself, Scatman that, Crothers, mm-hmm, that he would have been nominated for an Academy Award if his role wasn't so cut. He did earn a Saturn Award for his performance for Best Supporting Actor. We talked about how great that performance he is and so how wonderful. how so wonderful. I he loved did him so too. much with so little. So yes, and and you know you, you saw the documentary. Yes, 
um, you remember how he expressed how graceful he was making the film? Mm-hmm. Just and he he teared up. I mean, he was genuinely moved by just being there and the experience. He was so wonderful in the film. And then Kubrick killed them all. <laughs> we, we spent way too much time shitting on Kubrick and Jack well, I Nicholson. Love, well, and I, 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 I mean, love they're that great. film version. Yeah. I, I do. I, I love it. We were like, you we'll know. still watch this film again. Yeah, I, still, I still love it because I love Kubrick too. Yeah. But I was like, I was mad at him. I was mad at him for killing Halloran and for torturing Shelley Duvall in real life. Shelley, I was mad. Shelley, it's always in my thoughts, you know, um, to this day. The director of this film puts Ganja through it, though. Yes, more than Hess. Yeah, I think so. More than Hess. I mean, Hess had his own stuff, but Ganja. You know, you saw what she was doing and how you know she was turning and. The imagery. I mean, the parts of the film are so hallucinatory. You wonder. Yes. You're like you weren't. You is... weren't sure if you were hearing a hymn or if you were hearing the tribal music. Yes. We should discuss the music. The score. Yes. You know how I am about. We. we you you know, love, I love scores. High scores. You <laughs> love scores. The first thing you said when I mentioned Iron Eagle was. Basil, ba- Basil Polidori. Polidoris. I'm yes. like, oh, okay. <laughs> My man, I miss him too. He's, he's not lo- no longer with us. Well, the score of Ganjan Hess involved a lot of chanting. Yes. Tribal but chanting and a lot of... Lots of reverberation. reverberation. And also a lot of gospel yes. inspired. Yeah. Brilliant. That's just brilliant. You have the gospel elements in the film. Often superimposed Super- on top yes. of... Y'all watch this movie if it's, you can. It's Check a, this out. It's not a quick movie. It's, it's not about quick. two it's, hours it, long and it's slow. It's a slow moving but film. But it's also It's intriguing. It really it's, draws it, you it's in. It's intriguing and um it requires multiple viewings. I agree. It requires multiple viewings and I'm I'm hoping one day someone writes a thesis on this film. It's just fascinating, and the characters are so fascinating. Yes, there are very few characters, there are and we very really few spend a lot of time with each of them. With the, yeah, and the director uh, is in the film. He's in the film. He, right. he has a pivotal role in it. The composer is in the film. The composer's in the film as well. The composer, Sam Wayman, yep. his sister Eunice. Eunice Kathleen Wayman, better My... known as Nina Simone. Yes. 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 And uh, the director lived with Nina Simone's brother, who was the composer of this film, mm-hmm. and also played the pastor slash right. <laughs> chauffeur. <laughs> I was like, this guy has to work two jobs. And I'm like, wait. I do that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's I mean, that's quite. I mean, that's fascinating in and of itself. It you is know, that character. You know, he's a part-time chauffeur, and he's not. And he like introduces Hess to the audience. Yeah, through he's voiceover, the, he's the film's narrator, and says, "I don't want to judge this man. I want. I just want to tell his story." And I think mm-hmm. to start the film with that, mm-hmm. and also the Christian hymn. I know it was the blood. Yes, I um. I had to look that up because uh-huh. I I was I was raised praying in Hebrew. So the first time I heard hymns that like mentioned blood and and having the blood, I'm like, what? I'm so confused. Did you grow up uh, church every Sunday or no? No, no. I'd only been to church maybe five times in my life, and I okay. think that was only because folks, a few folks in our family wanted to conform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and say, oh, go to church. This would be good for us. Now, the... I, we just never... No, I, I was never religious. I considered myself spiritual. Okay. My late great-grandmother was a reverend. This, I think this movie would also consider itself spiritual. Absolutely. You know, my late great-grandmother was a reverend. 
and oh. uh, you know she was religious in, but in DC. Yes, oh, wow. uh, she was from. From what I remember, she was from. I grew up with her. She passed when I was eighteen. Uh, the Reverend Catherine Austin, and uh, and I grew up with her. Learned a lot from her. She was like our family historian, and she told us stories of her grandmother, my great 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 grandmother Mary Sinclair, who was. Uh, given that anglicized name, Sinclair. she was um, stolen from Nigeria okay. and brought over as a slave. Okay. And she, we, there was a portrait of her in her house for years, which I'm so bummed I cannot find because when my grandmother passed, her house was sold. So we don't know what happened to that photo, that oh, one shit. portrait. That's, it was an 8 by 11 picture. And she told my sister and I, that when she was emancipated, she never talked once about her life as a slave. She never mentioned it. She never said anything. And thank, I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm left with those memories and those uh, passed down, those passed down oral tradition, oral tradition, and that was yeah. you know passed down through my my great grandmother. And um, uh, so yeah, thinking about all of that and. Um, it really, it really is brought up a lot in this film. Yeah, the juxtaposition of what I read as as African tradition mm -hmm. and then African American tradition, yes. because there was a lot of uh, African imagery mm -hmm. imposed, superimposed with lots of Christian, lots of church imagery. The church, yes, which is so, and that's that's all. It seemed like a battle between the two sometimes. Yes. But also, it could have been a marriage of the two. I was never quite sure if they were in, if these two ideas were in conflict with each other or mm. or in collaboration. In collaboration or in tandem. The oh, I'll be damned! I had the thoughts and it oh. escaped me. We can always uh, cut this. Yeah. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh, you can leave it. <laughs> uh, we can talk about. Um, well, what I, what interested me was the way it introduced church as a place of safety. Safety, which it was, especially to to the African American community. Mm -hmm. It was a place of safety. It was a place of community where you mm -hmm. could see each mm -hmm. other, and yet it also became introduced as a place of judgment. Yes, yes. Which to me reads as queer because so so many queer people of color who are raised in these churches as safe havens suddenly find themselves in conflict once their lives are being judged for what they do outside of the church. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've, I've heard of those uh, experiences and, and um, I can't speak on them because I you know, haven't five times in, in church, church and no one yeah. ever said i didn't grow up in the church but we i have heard those yeah. yes oh yes and, yeah i've heard them. Um, yeah experiences from you know folks in in my community and uh there's it's it's so much going on there and uh with the film with that the juxtaposition of african ritual christian you know uh, christianity Amer yeah. african-american guy it was at this point, they've become so intertwined. Intertwined. Yeah. And then at the same time, this film is so ambiguous. Truly. Just loaded with so much ambiguity from beginning to end. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's just fascinating. Like I would At watch the beginning, it. he says the Merthian 
dagger i did some research mm-hmm. um because i don't know everything um there's no murthia in no. africa the only murthia or murtia i could find were in uh, greece Yes, yes. And it's interesting that the film starts with these statues, the Greco-Roman imagery. Is it Murthia or Murthia? The, in the movie? Yeah. It's Murthia or Murthian. Murthian, that's right. I'm not sure why I said Murthian. I'm thinking Corinthian. (laughs) In the film, we should probably give a little bit of a plot synopsis. Um, (laughs) In the film, Dr. Hess Green, an anthropologist, uh, has a, a new assistant played by the director Bill Gunn, who is unstable. He's suicidal. Yes. All these things, uh, are, uh, all these red flags pop up right away. Mm-hmm. And there's this magical dagger called the Murthian dagger mm-hmm. uh, from ancient Africa. If you're stabbed with it, you are... You become you a be- vampire. You become immortal, but mm-hmm. you are immortal. addicted to, to blood. blood. It's important mm-hmm. that it's an addiction, An addiction. I think. Yes, an addiction. And... You know, these are vampires who did vampires who didn't have fangs, and, right? They you know, just needed the blood to survive. The blood to survive, and uh, so that right there is shewing that one famous vampire trope, that vampiric trope of the fangs. Of the fangs, and from the top of the film, you you see them, you know, meeting, and then it just kind of the film itself just kind kind of exists. It, you see these kind of just naturalistic things happening. Yeah. And uh, not a whole lot. But then it... Like these long conversations, these boring stories. Like, I'm like, why are you anything? telling this boring story? And yet it's very captivating it, the way it... Uh, exactly. The, the way it's so quiet exactly. and simple. It's so quiet and simple. And it's so... Fa- like the scene <laughs> where, they was, where they were having uh, drinks and they were oh. smoking. And, and the bustler kept coming back and Bill Gunn, you know, he kept saying, oh, that was crazy. That, you know, that oh, wonderful this Bill crazy Gunn. story and then it, just, this was it, like, it was just fascinating. Uh, I, <laughs> just fascinating. I'm like, this uh, is a terrible yeah. story. Why? <laughs> no, but at the same time, I was just hooked because I'm like, right. where is this going? Right. You just going? don't know. Because that's exactly what we do in real life. <laughs> that's exactly what we do in real life. And, you know, the conversations that we have, yes. you know, whether it we're felt at, very unscripted. Right. And, you know, whether we're at the bar or someone's house or you know in the theater or wherever we have these conversations and oh and shout out to the legendary ms mabel king right uh, the queen okay of that headdress made me so so much gayer just by right. seeing it those yeah, feathers if anything i could say that if <laughs> i said you know if i had something that maybe it was that, that headdress, outfit. that costume that costume and mabel king mabel king some uh, of you might know her as eveline from the original broadway production and film versions of the Wiz, uh mama thomas from what's happening oh, legendary wow. black sitcom uh, and a handful of other film and television appearances. Uh, she plays the Queen of Murthia, not a speaking role. You no, only, she, you only she saw her in flashbacks. Shows up. I, I read that she was in the movie, and I was like, wait, I didn't mm-hmm. recognize her. I wouldn't have recognized her anyway, because I've only ever seen The Wiz, yeah. <laughs> and she's oh. in a lot of makeup for that. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, talking yes. about bad news. Yeah, um. right. <laughs> she was, and she was an, also an icon of black cinema Truly. and television. Uh, Bill Gunn, an icon of black theater. You yeah. Know? And uh, he, you know, this was, I believe, his one of a few films he made. He didn't make and many, He didn't no. make many. Um, 
just... he wrote he wrote some well known films like a Hal Ashby film, The Landlord oh, in nineteen sixty. Right. Of course, yeah, no, that was so uh, nineteen seventy. Did... The Landlord. Oh, okay, yes, with, my uh, bad. Oh no, no. <laughs> the the legendary Miss Pearl Bailey, the yes. legendary Miss Diana Sands. Uh, folks, please look up on Diana Sands, a legendary sister. Uh, whose life ended far too early. She was uh, only 39 when she passed. It's, um, it's, it's uh, strange that she, Diana Sands, found fame with A Raisin in the, a raisin sun, in the sun by Lorraine Hansberry, who also died very young. Very young. She was 34. They both had cancer. Additionally, and these the men we're talking about, Bill Gunn and Dwayne Jones, mm-hmm. it, it... Yeah, they both uh, had too cancer. Soon. Yeah, and Diana Sands was only 39 mm-hmm. when she passed. Uh, also... Um, uh, the landlord. Oh yes, the legendary Miss Lee. Grant. Lee Grant. Her yes. was that her first Oscar nomination or no? She got a few before then. It she was, started young. It was her no. That was her second Oscar okay. nomination. Her first Oscar nomination was for 1951's Detective Story. Shoplifter. Shoplifter. Yeah. Yes, and then you know she was blacklisted. Um, right. Uh, McCarthyism, and uh, and then she's she, still alive. She's still she's around. 90. She just turned. She famously won't confirm her age. Oh, wow. So she's either ninety two or ninety four. Oh. Right. I did. You know, I do my birthday. Does it matter? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Ninety two or ninety four. She will never discuss the age. She will never discuss her actual age. Oh, wow. You know, y- Yova Haskell Rosenthal from New York City. She's Jewish. Oh. And uh, and uh, member she, of my tribe. Yes. Yes. Yova Haskell Rosenthal. She. Um, she famously won't uh, confirm, but oh, wow. I, I think she's—I'm guessing she's 94. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, she's also an Oscar-winning documentary filmmaker, as opposed oh, yes. as well as as opposed as well as an Oscar-winning actor. Yes. And but you know, Landlord, well, actually, Detective Story, The Landlord, Shampoo, for which she won, supporting actress, and Voyage of the Damned, which was the following year, all supporting actors. Wow. Uh, su- supporting actress you nominations are just a wealth of knowledge you truly are <laughs> thank you but all yeah. of he did not he just all of this rolled off the tongue folks he does not have notes he it, that, it's just all in that brain it's a great i'm such a dork you are and i love you oh wow <laughs> but no yeah, yeah we should we should go back to standing marlene clark for a yes. minute cause, well, yes because yes. well she plays the wife of this Unstable assistant. I think she was his ex-wife. Was right? she? About this time. Yes. Uh, ex-wife. Ganja Maida. Ganja Maida. Ganja is an interesting name. Because we all know what that is. We all know what it means, but it comes from Hindi, actually. That's right. But um, it came from India to the Caribbean mm-hmm. and became the most popular slang term for, for weed Reefers. in Jamaica. That's right. And that's how I think it came to the U.S. through Jamaican influence, possibly, or also Indian uh, trading influences when you know the white people came over to to the Caribbean and to the states and <laughs> Ooh, brought ganja with them. <laughs> Colonization, Lord. I mean, ganja is a great name. The name marijuana was only invented. I mean, it it is not the proper name for cannabis as we know it wasn't it was used much more prevalently in the 30s by whites who wanted to make it sound exotic so they used this name of mexican spanish origin marijuana Mm -hmm. to make it sound foreign Mm -hmm. so that 
they could make it criminal, and it, it worked very well. <laughs> See how systematic that all is? It's, oh, it's, it's crazy. It's, it goes so far uh, back. Yeah. So, so far back. And I didn't love that. <laughs> Ganja was introduced like 40 mi- minutes into the movie. Yeah, she came into the film very late. Yes. And what? And what's her first appearance? Oh, my God, that it, phone call. The phone call. I mean... All you see is her nails and lips her for a very long time, and, and she is just making making a great first impression i love it i loved, I loved it. it i mean it's pure diva it's pure diva you know this is a strong sister mm-hmm. you know that you know takes no guff from anyone and she just calls with demands you know it's the it's quite it's like wow she just comes out of nowhere she's like, she's like i will stay at your house and yeah, he's like you can't do then she goes yes i fucking can yes, I mean, just shows up i mean I mean, I just, you know... <laughs> and the film is better for it. Yes. I mean, the, the story so far is that this unstable assistant has already um, threatened suicide by hanging. By hanging. You yeah, find, scene, you find him... Now. Well, for that entire scene, you see Dwayne Jones looking up, up at, him, at him. But all you see is him talking legs. to legs yes. that are dangling. And there's a noose on the side. And a noose. It's a very... It's I a mean, powerful image. Yeah. Well, you have two brothers who are... And you're only seeing half of one of them? you're only seeing half of one of them. It's fascinating. And uh, see, that's why this film requires multiple viewings. The symbolism, the imagery of having, you know, Miss Marlene's... Uh, only, Marlene's her only her nails. Nails and her mouth. And you see the rings and her mouth and she's talking and, and she's so, so wonderfully assertive and forceful. It does... Uh make you question though is is she being introduced with these red nails and these red lips is there some kind of imagery invoked of like the outspoken black woman angry talking angrily into the phone with her i mean that could be one theory reading. but i i honestly didn't think that. I don't um, think that Bill Gunn had any misogynist had intent like no, that. No, I don't believe that. Even though his other scene when he when he writes that suicide letter, mm-hmm. he instructs it to be read to only the black male children, which was interesting. That's very interesting. Uh, yeah, this film can be dissected it's and analyzed forever. Little moments yeah. like that. I caught this time, I, I watched it again last night for this, and I saw after the scene in which Dwayne Jones, or in which Hess talks to his assistant in the tree, he, you cut to the assistant, and now you can only see the top half of his body. That's right. I'd, I wasn't That's sure right. if that was on purpose, but knowing Bill Gunn, I don't know if it was. You, yeah, you don't know. You you don't know. Um, see, that's what I I'd have to check in with the uh, the scholars and and uh, it's the curious. ones who know this film. You it's know, curious, far, yeah. the ones who know this film far better far better than I. That um, it's so you can break down yeah. the symbolism, the relationships, the gender dynamics. That's that suicide note the that went on forever. Note. He yes. talked. He just yeah, and it was poetic and i, yes. I love he i love some poetry writer. yes yeah, wonderful writer. it was but it was also very um it was very troubling troubling yes the, that that whole monologue was just an incredibly uns it it's unsettling an, it's unsettling it's very yes. unsettling because this happens after hess asks the assistant not to commit suicide that's right interestingly because he says if the police come to this island they're going to say yes they're going to say i did it that's right see see that's 
that's the brilliance of, of a film from 1973 from, saying this. Saying yeah. that, you know, well, it was like you know that episode of Sanford and Son, where uh, Lamont and Fred are at uh, the doctor's office, and Fred is getting, I believe, a physical, and I think he was being tested for hypertension or high blood pressure, and he goes, uh, "Pops, you know, uh, the the main cause of black people is high blood pressure and hypertension." I believe it was something like that. And then Fred goes, um, I didn't know that. I thought it was the police. <laughs> you know, they were, they were saying things like that. That wasn't my best Red Fox. I can do a much better Red Fox, uh, y'all. Well, I but, uh, can't, so. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know I'm that. I thought it was the police. You know? <laughs> but, you know, they were touching. They were aware back and then. And that, that scene also brings to mind the interesting way uh, people of color are treated by medical professionals. Yes, which is a There's very, a history of yes. some troubling ways in which the medical community has treated black people, not the least of which was like the, the, the Tuskegee experiments. That's right. Like medical professionals and, and people of color have had a troubling history. And you hear about with black women yes. and maternity. Yes. And the issue They're more likely to, to suffer complications, complications, even fatal ones. In childbirth, yeah. At a way higher rate than than white women and they're are. They're talking about that now. Still now, they're yeah. Still talking about that, and I mean, all of the a uh, lot of this is so systematic, and we 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 need we need to change that. Something has to be done. You, the, it's you know these are lives, and you know, and black lives, and um, I'm just I. I I, I try to keep aware of what's going on, and, mm-hmm. and I have these um, ideas and thoughts. And sometimes I discuss it on social media. Other times <laughs> I don't. I usually it's a I, hellscape I, out there. Sometimes yes, I, I tend to keep up, you know, lots of things to myself. But then in a private setting, or you know, in a one-on-one setting, oh, I definitely will talk about it. But you know, the, with black cinema. Touching on like little details like that, even that that one moment. I'm glad you brought that Years up because later, still <laughs> Dwayne rings Jones so loudly. He's yeah. like, yeah, the police are going to think I did yeah. it. And um, yeah, all these hidden things, and that's why you know I'm going to rewatch it and maybe several more times, probably. And, yeah, and break, and break it down. I mean, the all the elements in that film for what it was, which I'm sure was extremely low budget. The way that you know the sound mixing, the music. You had that theme that came up every time. The um, uh, it was uh, the chant. chanting. Yes, brilliant move to have that uh, uh, theme come up. Repetitive motif. The repetitive motif. Uh, every time you know there, there was um, someone dying or someone being you know exsanguinated, and uh, yes. the whole scene where Miss Miss Marlene was turning, you know, with the yes. young, with that that uh, fine brother, that. Uh, <laughs> You know what made me gayer? Woo! A film that ends with a slow motion naked man running. Yes. yes Full yes. frontal. Yes, 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 yes. And, and and Mr. Dwayne himself now. I mean, even Bill Gunn. I mean, these but these were fine brothers. Miss you know? <laughs> Marlene, she, she fine. Beautiful black people. Gorgeous. Beautiful black people in this film. That's the other thing, too. You know, um, they are they are medical professionals. They're Gan- medical uh, professionals. Hess is a medical professional. Ganja yes. is a wealthy a woman and mm-hmm. um when the assistant we should probably say the assistant stabs hess with the dagger that's right making him a vampire that's right George he apparently Jada. slept with the dagger by his be- who sleeps with a murthy and dagger by your bed anymore i don't even right. know 
sleep with knobs under the pillows. You know, well, after everything you went through with that assistant, I'm not surprised. Yes. And yet it's still, he was still... Um, and you, you remember the whole scene where uh, the pimp and the, the prostitute, they were... I oh, loved that scene. Such a wild scene. Her, her wild like, scene. from behind, she looked like Sybil Shepherd. Yeah. <laughs> that blonde wig. And then she took it off at one point. And then yes, she scene, does. As soon as they, as soon as she gets in private, she takes off, she the, takes wig. off the wig. She wears this blonde wig to, uh, you know, uh, she's a sex worker and she's and trying to, to, trying to be a honeypot, trying to get some clients yeah for and her and as soon as she gets one she's like natural hair time yeah yeah she shows that see that little things like that you know you have a sister who's a sex worker and she was doing her job she was doing doing it well and uh he was not treating her so well no the pimp who actually who was one of the villains in live and let die really yes he played adam his name was tommy lane he was the one that had the gas thrown in his face (gasps) in the speedboat chase oh and roger moore kicks the boats over you know he bumps the boats over into the uh structure and the boats blows up you know he was one of yafet koto's uh henchmen henchmen right and uh, so i was like i said oh yes i remember this brother <laughs> but um yeah i mean you have things like that you know if, you also have um yes being after even after he uh, becomes a vampire it's probably worth noting that the film is split into sections the yes. first being victim victim the second being survival Survivor. And the first thing you see is him speaking French, being a good dad. Yes, yes, with the boy. Yes, normal yes. things. But the, but you know you you would see in seventies movies so many unfortunate tropes about black fathers. But it, here you have one speaking Sp- speaking French, French and... in a whole scene, no subtitles. No if you subtitles. don't know French, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just you know, God, I can't I can't say enough. It's interesting that that's also the the first thing you see in the survival part in the children, um, yeah or is it that he steals the blood from the hospital you see him stealing blood from a hospital that's right um and then and then vomiting because it's not fresh it's not fresh yeah he has to have fresh he's addicted to fresh, fresh blood. blood what do you think of the idea that he's a that it's an addiction because he's trying to survive well, you know, bloodlust is nothing new in vampirism. Of course so, not. So I think that's why they... But bloodlines blood are also very di- very heavily discussed that's right. in black history. In I black think. history, which is a very important thing yeah. you know, uh, in black culture. Um, you know, history, lineage, ancestry. Yes. Because uh, it's very easy for you know me to find the exact mountain in Romania that my people came from. <laughs> Just go on 23andMe. It's a uh, little... Which I have not done yet, because that stuff is expensive. It's I... expensive, and I don't need to know which mountain. I know it's Eastern Europe, somewhere in the fields, and until they were chased out yeah. by the Cossacks. I know some of my ancestry, but I'm pretty sure I'm in for a surprise. Hmm. And Because uh, I do know I'm part Nigerian. Okay. I do, and I'm of Nigerian, part Nigerian descent. Uh, that's one confirmation there. But uh, the... Oh, you know, the... Um, I can't say enough how... Uh, how so far ahead that film was. Truly, yes. Touching on those little things, you know, the father-son relationship. Black father, black son. I mean, you never son. see the son again. You never see him again. Unfortunately, and, um, yeah. You know, with uh, Ms. Marlene coming in on the scene, you know, this this uh, sister who, you know, wants to know where her husband, I believe ex-husband at that time, mm-hmm. uh, wants to know where he is, but then she falls into this relationship. 
and and become I the mistress love, of the house. You I know, love her entrance. I love her. She's always wearing pearls, fur, turbans, turbans. giving her most Norma yes. Desmond. Yes. Well, she was a model before she became an actor. Yes. And uh, so you can definitely see the, you know, like Mother Sicily. But she's Mother also giving some great, she's performing. Oh, she's she trained. Perform- uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, she, she trained is, uh, to be an actor. I do think mm-hmm. that, you know, it's strange that around the same time other actresses were being discovered, like Pam Greer and Pam Meryl Greer. Streep. Uh-huh. I do wonder why Marlene Clark didn't receive that, uh, not even the level of fame that Pam Greer did. I, I don't know why it could have been personal, but Marlene Clark is still around. She's still she's alive. Still around. Yeah. She's, she'll be 70 next yeah. month. And, um, and Miss Pam, Miss Pam just turned 70 back in May. Um, I, I kind of, I still wish, you know, I, I'm so forever fascinated with, um, Tamara Dobson, Cleopatra yes, Jones, Cleopatra who was Jones. born in Baltimore, raised in Baltimore, uh, became, uh, Supermodel, mm-hmm. and she's uh, tall, right? She was six two, Ooh, wow. and she was in the Guinness Book of World Records of be- for being the first, the tallest woman to lead a major motion picture. And, Cle- and Cleo Cleopatra Patrick Jones. Jones. Okay, and um, and then she, after like nineteen eighty four, you never really heard from her again. She kind of became reclusive. Mm-hmm. She went back to Baltimore. Uh, I think she was a student at the Maryland College of Art. Mm-hmm. I believe that's the name of the school. In Baltimore, and she, I found in 2006, she passed away at 59. She had, um, she was Cancer? living with MS, oh, okay. she, but she had pneumonia. Okay. And um, you never saw later photos of her. I mm-hmm. always wondered what she, she and Ms. Pam were really good friends. Yeah. Uh, they were all, they were talking about making a buddy movie together. Wow. Did you see this interview with Miss Pam from like a couple of years ago? They were. Oh, I wish that had happened. W- that would have been the most awesome motherfucking thing. You know, oh. but two, two, of my, two of my favorites, you know. But actually, she taught. Um, one taught the other how to ride a motorcycle because in Cleopatra Jones, uh, oh. Miss Tamara rode the motorcycle right. at one point. Uh, I think Miss Pam taught her to do that, taught her how to do that. Um, because, you know, Miss Pam, you know, she grew up on the farm. She grew up with horses and things like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's very, you know, outdoorsy. Um, but, you know, with black cinema and the legacy, as problematic as some elements of black cinema are, of course, like with black exploitation, it's important. It was us. And it's a side or, you know, there were facets that many people may not appreciate and may not agree with. Mm-hmm. For a lot of folks, it was how it was. Uh, and then for lots of other black folks, it wasn't like that. Um, but uh, we saw, I think that people just, uh, I, I'm guessing people found it entertaining. Um, I mean, there's a reason these films reason, are still so popular. There's a reason why they're so popular still. And um, you can tell with like films like Dolomite to the Rudy Ray Moore films, he wasn't taking himself seriously. He was taking his craft seriously. <laughs> right. I have a documentary, uh, the last documentary he made, and he was so wonderful. Um, he talked a lot about being supportive of young talent uh-huh. and being there for them and reaching back, giving back to them. And He, he was, was already almost 50 when he made Dolomite. That's right. He was 81 when he passed right. in 2008. Okay. And, uh, and Lady Reed, who was so underrated. Now, now you want to talk about <laughs> black 
comedian sisters, you know, comedian. She, <laughs> she, you know, and and she passed in, I believe, ninety nine. You never oh, knew okay. how. I never knew how old she was exactly. She might have been around the Lee age. Grant School of Age Denial. Yeah, but there's not much biographical information on her, right? And I, um, I did. I wasn't able to come across a lot. Only that her real first name was Nancy. That's mm-hmm. the one biographical fact that I'm aware of. I don't think they even give her first name in Dolomite Is My Name. No, she's just known as Lady... She was just known as Lady Reed. I have her albums as well on my iPod because, you know, she went around with Rudy Ray and... Yeah. They, I, they were... Divine Joy Randolph's performance truly is so so special in yes. that uh, everyone is given like craig robinson oh my my, my baby lunell 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 i love the scene where oh. she says are you going to be a wholesome comedian like bill cosby yes. i think it's important that she's playing like eddie murphy's auntie yeah, she plays his aunt yeah and says that to him and is yeah. like, I don't like your comedy. It's funny that it's, it's coming from Lunell. Yeah, who, yeah well, who's one of the bad girls of comedy? And uh, as she proudly says. Yes, she's filthy and, and I, I love it. I love, I loves me all of Lunell. And I talk to her on Facebook sometimes. <gasps> it's the funniest thing. She'll oh, comment. She did that back in the day because we've been Facebook friends for years. Oh, and wow. And they're like, you know, she posts something because she's very so, uh, active on social media. I want to make a comment and I call her Lou. Like oh, I know her personally, which gosh. I do not. <laughs> Uh, but I've been following her career since the early days of Comic View on BET in 1994. That's why I discovered Leslie Jones uh, on Comic View back in 1994. Some more, my girl. Some oh, more. Oh wow! I lo- now, now I'm Deep sure cut. you know most out there know I love my black comedians. I love my black you know sisters or brothers or and uh, and I just love all of that. And because we all have a story to tell, we all have things to share with one another. Speaking of stories. Um, that grass up the ass monologue that Marlene Clark gives when she's talking <laughs> yes. about just one yes. joint or just something. Yeah, and she goes, up his, <laughs> that monologue had me on the floor. Oh, it tickled I, me. Oh. It tickled me. I had to go back. I said, wait a minute. Is she talking about, she, and I had to scrub it back to go back. She would be so funny, and then she would be so heartbreaking. Um, when she talks about her mother. When she when talks she about her mother. Just oh, my, yeah, yes. pa- that stuff was powerful pretty stuff. powerful, powerful stuff. And then asks for how many grits. <laughs> yeah, just so. Do rare. you know what they are? Do you know what the how many grits? Like just so rare. It make, makes me wonder if Bill Gunn had them like Im- improvised. Um, I did at, notice at when moments. she did because uh, Hess and she fall in love fairly quickly. They get to fucking real soon. That's right. It's very romantic. It's very tender. Yes. Yes. Um, and then she had those bright red nails when you first see her when she, after she becomes Hess's lover and possibly after she becomes a vampire, she has these dark red nails, much more of a blood color. Yes. See, that's not by accident. No. That, that's her lips were all, her like her makeup, dark. she had red lip in the first and, and big shadow in the first scene. And then she it has a much more natural look. Yeah. It's her transformation. And right before she does marry, they get married. They get married, In yes. two ceremonies, one yes. that's much more Christian and, and uh, you know, and then the the tribal one Man, in which they're in these loaded. robes. Yes. So loaded. Those, so loaded. those costumes in both marriages are phenomenal. Yes. Um, but she also, I loved right before she 
is transformed into a vampire. She sits in front of her mirror and has that little Viola Davis moment, <gasps> taking off all the makeup. Yes, uh, yes, she... yes. See, see, oh. And that elevator in the yes, house. Yes, in the house. He just the... comes up out of the floor, out of this elevator in the floor, and I'm just like, uh, see? Okay. You know, we... Absolutely. See, it, it's blackcellence. Black excellence. <laughs> Pure blackcellence. You know, you... There's opulence. a lot of magic and opulence in this opulence, film. Opulence, yes. And it's so, like... Oh, I, I can't say enough. You know, I can't say not. enough how influential this mm-hmm. film is and should be, mm-hmm. even more so with the public consciousness. Um, it, it's all of these elements. You know, they they need to have this film in classes and film classes to break down. I hope you know, they screen it at MoMA every yeah, now and then. You have a black cinema class, or yeah, you know, the professors need to break that film down. If you're going to teach Don't Look Now, which is a wonderful film, I think you should by all means teach this one. It's unfortunate that I think because of the budget and the quality of the film that they were able to get at the time, it doesn't look as well restored as these other films Mm -hmm. from the 70s. But the restoration I saw on Amazon Prime... is pretty good, yeah. yeah, It's uh, on Prime. It's it's really good because I wanted to find it on YouTube. Honestly, that soft quality, I think, helps the films look yeah i was well. like i was kind of nervous about going on amazon problems i'm like amazon but that's right. one thing i wanted to find it on youtube they're listening to us right now <laughs> right right oh god damn amazon. i wanted to find it on uh youtube but um you said prime and i said oh okay and i go and the quality the restoration you know it's gorgeous like it for is, what yeah. it was and for how for how made, long it's been lost for how long it's been lost i mean it's been 40 some odd years yeah. now and um yeah, I just love the look of it. I mean, the costume design. You see, I mean, I was like, oh yeah, they did have B-neck sweaters back then. I and said, the body like, glitter. The body. Yes. That made me real gay. They're naked, having sex, covered in blood and body glitter. Okay. I'm like, okay. You y'all remember when I said nothing made me uh, gay or it's all this? Yeah, it was that. It was that. It was, it was the body that. glitter. Yes. I was well, like, it ends in a very unfortunate way. I'm like, wow, way to ruin coitus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you but, had the body glitter and everything, and then you just had to start drinking blood, didn't I mean, you? <laughs> that's just brilliant. A brilliant move. Yeah. I mean, it was basically, you know, um, I couldn't call it an orgy because there were only two people, but it was, you know... Just, it was orgiastic. It was orgiastic. celebratory S- revelry. Yeah, with yeah. glitter and blood, where it's not... Somewhat not, you know, somewhat, I, I don't want to say pagan, but that idea that there's all this non-christian stuff working its way in Mm -hmm. from the the references to hellenic greco-roman empires as well as african empires yeah hellenic empires and african empires are being invoked and i think it's also interesting how the cross is not deadly to their vamp their vampiric selves but the shadow the of the shadow cross. of the cross. And that made me wonder if this film was a bit uh, anti-Christian, or because mm. the shadow, the black shadow of a cross being deadly. I, I wasn't sure. Itself. I wasn't sure how to interpret that because, of course, I can't speak on the experience of of, of being black and being raised with a specific religion. Or a specific history. Yeah, my. But it was fascinating to me that it was the shadow of the cross that was deadly to yes. them. Yes. See, and that's another. I keep going back to it. That's <laughs> another testament. They really do need to, to teach the, this film. To the brilliance of this film. I keep using that word, brilliance, <laughs> but uh, I, keep impl- I keep employing it. But um, little things like that, those details, yeah. 
you can theorize. And ends with there is a fountain filled with blood. Another I, blood I, hymn. The blood hymn, which I actually uh, almost sang that in, in an audition once. Um, I read it. I was like, what is this hymn about? And I yeah. looked it up. That was apparently written by this guy after he was suicidal for a period of months. I'm like, ah, yes. If you listen to the score from the film Cobb by uh-huh. Elliot Goldenthal, um, my man, the first cue in that score that you hear on the soundtrack album is him singing it. Okay. He, uh, Golden Thaw himself, he's like, yeah. uh, he sings There's a Fountain Filled with Blood and he's singing it like the street singer. It's, it's scary. And uh, it's so, so wild. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that band too. But the, the, um, the way that, why do I keep saying um? I'm not, I'm not an um individual. Uh, I choose my words carefully. Yes. Uh, the, you too. <laughs> the, yeah, I, my view is very limited okay. when it comes to um, religious religion and religiosity. Uh, it's extremely limited. Okay. And I rarely talk about it. Um, I, re- I respect it in those who practice it. Of course, yeah. But, uh, you know, I've always considered myself agnostic, spiritual, said, borderline yeah, atheist. Like you said spiritual yeah, and, you know, borderline uh, atheist. But focus on. I know there's something, something there. after there. There's but something. That's kind of the Jewish view, too, is like, I don't know if there's a, a upstairs or downstairs after yeah. we die, but why don't we just focus on feeding as many people? Exactly, and for those who our believe, weird food and, and as possible, believe, and, yeah, and for those who believe that's that's cool too. It's um, yeah, because I'm such an individualist, uh, uh-huh. and I, I'm so about to be individual. I, I imagine that this film promotes individuality mm-hmm. in the way it examines these two characters very very complexly very closely Extremely but is complex. also a film that says we have history mm-hmm. we have stories we have stories we need to tell them yeah because they were half of the film is them just sitting around telling, telling stories. stories about sticking joints up their asses just no random, <laughs> just unbelievably random yet simple and beautiful simple stories and beautiful stories and some are just you they're almost borderline absurd and then they go them. off and they drink blood out of yeah People's necks. And other times, they're very powerful and uh, or funny, and it's it's oh lord, I can It's so fascinating that film. And I think we talked about pretty much everything. We don't have to discuss the ending of the film because we really do. I mean, I ask my guests, "Did you gag on this film? I, was I, it a good gag or a bad gag?" It was a good gag. Oh shit! It was a great <laughs> gag. Great gag. And would you gag on it again? Absolutely, I'd gag and you know that, that, yeah, totally, absolutely, absolutely. The shit. the neckography you just gave us all, or just me. Oh, I feel so bad for the listeners. They didn't see it. I am a jackass. <laughs> I loved it. I was, but oh, one detail yeah. I had forgotten to mention: Spike Lee. Oh, remade this remade film. Remade this film in 2014? The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Yes. Which was funded through Kickstarter. Spike Lee needed Kickstarter to fund for that? For that film. I forgot the reason why. Because huh. um, studios didn't know what Ganja and Hess was and they probably didn't <laughs> want to make the movie. Yeah, or maybe he wanted to do his own thing. It, I forgot it to It astounds do me that, that Spike Lee still has to crowdfund 
after all, yeah, after all, he's Spike done. Lee. It's Spike yeah. Lee. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah it's, he it's, made it's Spike Lee. The remake of this film is a Spike Lee joint. Yeah, and uh, and at times I haven't seen it though. Seen? Oh, I, yes, I just saw it again uh, a few weeks ago when we started talking about uh, this podcast. Would you recommend it? I would. Okay. It's it's longer. Okay. Still the same elements, same characters basically from Ganja and Hess. Uh, wonderful cast. Rami Malek plays the servant oh. to the lead character. His name is also Hess in this film as well. Stephen Tyrone Williams. Stephen is Tyrone in that Williams. As well. He's the lead in that. He's the lead. Okay. And um, Zara. Zara Abrams. Okay. Uh, she plays um, Ganja. Ganja. And uh, Felicia Pearson, Snoop from The Wire. Oh, I love uh, her. She plays a sex worker in the film. Okay. And uh, a role great cast. You, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, some of the film is actually s- shot for shot, scene for scene remake of Ganja and Hess. Really? Yeah, just portions of it. Okay. And uh, it's yeah. I, props to Spike for you know for finding that, this movie and saying this is an important piece of history. Exactly, and you know paying. And if anyone can possibly, you know get hollywood to you know get wise about the stories we're telling it's yeah. it's spike it's so yeah and it's so um i think it didn't catch on with a lots of people because no of the, i didn't uh, the hear story. much i mean in tw- 2014 very, i heard very little about very it little but fan in 2014 fan. i didn't know anything about ganja and hess either oh oh yeah see, see you know i'm, I'm old <laughs> so I, I knew it way, about it way back when blood couple you know? <laughs> Shit! What a blood awful, couple! What a crappy! You so know, yeah, if you find blood couple, stuff. don't gag on that no, film. No, no. Find the original. It's, it's probably heavily cut. You know the quality's probably not good. You know, go with Ganja and Hess, the original title. Please do. And you know, uh, original Broadway cast. <laughs> the, <not> the OBC. <laughs> the OBC are of Ganja and Hess. The OBC, yes. But no, yeah, the sweet blood of Jesus. I recommend that as well. Um, if you want, um, absolutely, a different context and uh, a, kind of an homage, basically, to Ganja and Hess, um, because it's it's pretty much an unofficial remake. Yeah, and uh, only that it's longer, as Spike's films tend to be epics, <laughs> and uh, Bruce Hornsby scored it. Oh. Was a wonderfully random choice. Not even my man Terrence Blanchard. I, I like Bruce Hornsby too, but Terrence Blanchard's my man. He did Black Klansman as That's well. That's right. He's okay. done every Spike film except except the Spice Love Jesus. Um, I need to find out if he scored Red Hook Summer. Okay, I think he did. Uh, and there was another um, Spike film, Jungle. Uh, was it Jungle? No, Mo Better Blues. Terrence Blanchard didn't score that. I, I well, but didn't that only use? Blues? I think his father scored that. Oh. Bill, Bill Lee. Interesting. I know his father scored Do the Right Thing. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So but we've he got... Jungle, he scored Jungle Fever and, and Malcolm X and from then on. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, I, I recommend those. Absolutely. But, but Ganjan has, um, y'all check it out. Seriously. It's, it's, uh, did, we, did we talk about Ms. Marlene a lot? I think so. You think we did? Okay. I would love to talk um, and, about Marlene Clark forever and for right, always, but we so are we, we are about <laughs> out of time. We're out of time. Okay. Sorry. No, 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 no. I, I, you know me because you know we, we can, can go on forever. Honestly, we can, talk forever. We can go on forever. <laughs> y'all, you, you know, me, and Kenny just could yeah. be in a room for four to six hours and yeah. would need no breaks. Yes, the but, illustrious Kenny Mew. Hi, Kenny. Hi. <laughs> 
But thank you so much for talking about this film with me. I was really looking forward to for, to talk about it with somebody, and you were my first choice. Oh, thank you. And so I'm glad you thank were you. you were willing to come all the way out here to oh, my big absolutely. comfy couch and talk <laughs> movies. I love that. Yes. And yes. I hope you do it again sometime. Oh, you know I will. Whether or not the microphone is on. Oh, you know I will because we do it on Facebook all the time. <laughs> and all you magical people out there, I hope you get to see this movie, and I hope. You have a good gag. Yes. Anything else you want to say, Frank? Thank you all for listening. <laughs> um, and I hope I did this podcast justice and the talking about the legacy of this film. I, I just hope I did right by it. I think you did. And I'm so glad you were here to talk about it with me. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye now. <laughs>